Well, my brother, Harold, asked me to be the best man at his wedding. I was like, oh, of course, man. Because you've always been there for me. Like when I was in rehab, and uh, like the time I couldn't find my car. Because <laughs> Harold, you know, he's always been the dependable one. And I've always been the screwed up one. Right, Dad? <laughs> Why can't you be more like your brother? Uh, Harold would never beat up his landlord. <laughs> He's drunk as shit. <laughs> but, uh, little newsflash, Pop. Harold ain't so perfect. Remember that time in Puerto Rico when we picked up those two, uh, I guess they were prostitutes, but I don't remember paying. Welcome to Generation Lost, the show about movies with me and also the Jeremy. The 80s version of me. It's a different version. I'm. It's like me, but I'm wearing... Jeremy um, Idol. No, I'm not like a Billy Idol type. I'm like, um, oh, if I'm like an you're, 80s archetype, I'm You're wearing Elvis Costello. Like, no, I'm wearing uh, <laughs> leggings. I'm wearing leggings and spandex. And like oh, you're a one hair of those, metal guy? No, no, I'm like a, I'm a girl in this one. <laughs> oh, you're just a girl, Jer- Jeremy the girl. You're yeah, Julia, I'm wearing leggings and Julia spandex Thunder. pants, <laughs> and um, a, a like a sweatshirt, a crew neck sweatshirt that's like long enough to be a dress, and I have a big patent leather belt. Yeah, and you have a huge bow. <laughs> a huge bow, like yeah, big, exactly. Like same color as the bow. leggings and the sweatshirt, uh-huh. of course. Yeah, and your hair is like no, my hair is exactly piece. the same. I'm still bald. <laughs> That's not anything. <laughs> All right. Well, if we're doing gender swapped 80s, I have uh, like a ripped mesh t shirt and like, uh, uh, what do they call it? Winkle pecker shoes. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know. I don't think that's what they're called, but I don't know what they are called. Yeah, winkle pickers. <laughs> I think that's what they're called. Winkle pickers. Yeah, yeah, like the show, like the shoes, the the strokes wear, and I have a leather jacket that has like a dead Kennedys patch on it. Okay, and my hair is exactly the same as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm also wearing mascara and stuff. Man. What happened? <laughs> I, um, well, I went to go do the speed test and, um, it just didn't, uh, connect at all. It just went straight to like a a crash page and then everything seized up and stopped. And I tried to like, you know, I reset the router a couple of times and it gave, it dumped me to this page that, um, was like your, your WAN settings uh, can't be configured with your modem like this, you know, go to this page. And then it's like a login for spectrum and um, oh weird and and then like the top thing was like this is not a secure website and i was like what What the fuck is happening here (laughs) what is happening so i call up spectrum and they're like oh man i don't know what's going on you might need a new modem man no (laughs) what a bunch of fucking bullshit what a garbage company (laughs) (laughs) they're the absolute worst company i think i've ever had the displeasure of ever doing anything with they actually have a um a hit out on me right now Really? Um, for, for illegal downloading? No, no, no. Um, <laughs> for um, when I was in Sunset Park at the beginning of the pandemic, I was trying to get my service closed mm. because I'm moving to, I was moving to Bushwick and I couldn't change it. Like, right. it's only Optima up here because it's all a monopoly, you know? Like, yeah. you don't have a choice. So I was like, I was like, oh, I'll just close my account then. That's not possible. 
Like if you ever yeah. like try to do that, they don't want you to do it. Right. It's very clear they don't want you to do it. And you have to physically call them. It's also the middle of a pandemic, so they didn't have anybody working. Right. And so I just couldn't call them. I was on, I like left my phone on for like three days, like just right. ringing and ringing and ringing. And I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to change my my credit card account on on the account and then they won't be able to charge me anymore and then they'll just close it and then that's gonna go into collections probably so it's in collections now but i'm not gonna pay it (laughs) (laughs) how much how much is the debt it's like 150 dollars. do not pay that never pay it absolutely never pay that if you ever if they ever (laughs) contact you from the debt collection agency offer them ten dollars i guarantee you they'll take it (laughs) i'm not i don't want to pay it at all it's a matter of principle i know it's a matter of principle but you could absolutely if you just if you say ten dollars i bet you they'll take that ten the most you'll have to pay to get that settled would be 25 I, I bet they, you 25 is, is their max out <laughs> because the thing is the people who work those call centers are getting paid a wage, right? And yeah. there's a certain point at which the calculus will be that they can't, um, th- it's not worth it for them to collect $150 from you. So if you can just let them know, like, I will outlast that, but I will give you $10 if you'll just shut the fuck up, <laughs> they'll take it. <laughs> I love it. Um, anyway, uh, what, what, what did you watch this week? Oh, okay. Are we going to somehow <laughs> splice that? No, I'm going to put little Spanish flea. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that intro. What did I watch this week? Uh, I had two things I wanted to talk about. Um, the first one is I started watching um, The Simpsons. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So we've talked about it on the show before. I didn't really... I like I grew up knowing about the Simpsons. I had like a black Bart shirt. I like, you know, it was a <laughs> huge cultural thing. Right. Like the Simpsons were everywhere and I knew they were on television, but I just never really watched it. It like didn't I didn't get it. I was too young or it wasn't funny to me. I I just didn't understand what it was supposed to be. Right. And then throughout college, I was the only person who never seen Simpsons or like never really watched it. The most I ever watched was like at a family reunion and someone had the DVDs and they were just like on. And I was like, well, some of this is funny. So you told me to watch season three. Mm -hmm. So I started with season three. Um, And there were a couple episodes I had seen. Um, I haven't finished it all. Um, But it is really interesting to go back and watch this like very time capsule-y show. Right. um, Which has, which feels... Like, there's a ton of stuff in it. It's just like, oh, this is so influential. Like, right, I, yeah. I, this is... The, so much of what you like is is directly taking from this, which is, right. like, part of what's so fascinating about it is not only that it's, like, so influential, but the fact that it is a cartoon that's so influential. Right. Like, people really don't give it enough credit for the fact that, like, the funniest and smartest show on TV for a little while was a fucking cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> and not only a cartoon... But like a cartoon that just basically hasn't ever existed again, where it was like the animation was necessary for what it is. Mm-hmm. Like the jokes aren't all, oh, this insane funny thing, but you couldn't do most of the jokes without animation. Like you would just run into huge budgetary problems. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um or just like logistical problems, like there's just things like in the, we talked about the Leftorium episode, like yeah. the um the like monkey cage with the train in it, like just you can't. Where are you gonna find <laughs> that? Are you gonna make it? <laughs> right, and then now you would have a show like this. I mean, it's hard to imagine a show like this at all because it's like it's not zany exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like droll and kind of dry but also like s- surreal almost yeah um, the the zany factor is so often like the environment is what's weird right. like the people are always very normal except for like there's like the you know pirate guy and whatever there's like weird oddball characters but like the thing that's weird is always like the location that something is taking place at like um <laughs> like the, there's like the what is it the big m building and whatever right, like, right. or big t sorry there's like big t's everywhere um yeah weird shit like that yeah um but what i've what is so interesting is um how much of the show 
is serious mm-hmm. and like the the like for example the the episode where lisa is um she is like winning some like poet laureate prize or whatever and she is uh supposed to write an essay and then she ends up writing an essay about like political corruption and loses is it the mrs the, lisa goes to washington i don't know the titles how would i know the title <laughs> um, <laughs> um <laughs> but uh yeah she's she writes like a poem or something and that is like dealing with like the show feels very political a lot of the time, which mm-hmm. is something I've never noticed about it. <laughs> um, and, you know, the jokes about it are often like really weird one-off reactions from people where they'll right. just be like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> um, or they'll just like look off to the camera. Like for some of the funniest stuff Homer does is when he's just like watching television and he's like, well, I want that or whatever. And it's like just a reaction, but it's really <laughs> right, right, funny. Right. <laughs> um, so it's really subtle and also insane. And I don't know if there's really ever been another show like it where it's I think that th- tone where it's like, yeah, you're kind of just watching a, a sitcom, but then it, like insane shit happens, but it's all tied together really well. I think the closest that we've ever come to repeating The Simpsons, uh, actually, I'd say there's two. I'd say okay. there's certain seasons of King of the Hill that kind of oh. get close to it, where there is this sort of like dryness to it, and like the jokes are just peppered in here and there. They hit you every so often, but they're not like an ever present thing. Um, well, there's definitely not like Simpsons doesn't have and it's very apparent it doesn't have like a laugh a minute meter right like it's not trying to be like well we've got to make them have this level of comedy on this episode and you know the all every episode because it feels like there's a formula now mm-hmm. where it's like there has to be some like like level of laughs every so, so there was a formula before too it's it's really the simpsons is so unique for having broken that mold in so many different ways like mm-hmm. there's so many different angles at which the simpsons completely redefined like sitcom comedy right or just television in general and television right? in general yeah the other thing i was going to say is uh the first season of 30 rock is kind of like that at times i was then you were going to say that where like, like 30 <laughs> rock later becomes like in the second and third season it becomes this sort of drum that's just like it's so tight you could like bounce a penny off of it you know <laughs> like but uh the first season when it's still kind of serious and there's still sort of like commentary happening and there's still right. like something to say about television production specifically that's mm-hmm. when it kind of feels like the Simpsons at times where like they're more interested in like making the point they're trying to make every episode than they are in like the laughs per minute. Right. And the Simpsons writer room, I mean, you know, obviously it's the nineties. We've had many years to like know about this, but like it's interesting. It's legendary. Like this era of the <laughs> Simpsons is like all legendary writers. But also basically. politically so strange. Cause you have <laughs> yeah, like there's the one libertarian guy. <laughs> you have like a libertarian guy. And then you have Brad Bird, who I suspect is a bit of a fascist. And then you have like some people who I suspect are like actual socialists mm-hmm. and like, they're sort of all trying to get their little like opinions in. Yeah. Um, so it's a little schizophrenic, but ends up sort of being a fairly left leaning show on like national television. Right. Uh, in the nineties was like pretty weird. I, I assume. Cause um, what you have in this early era of the Simpsons, like the writer's room who would be populating it. Right. Is like, people who were chewed up and spit out of stand-up comedy because you're <laughs> yeah. you're at the end of the 80s beginning of the 90s when like the the comedy crash happened right and right. all of the clubs closed and nobody can make a living anymore <laughs> and so like you're not only at like the lowest point for comedy as a career but you're also at like the least relevant that a comedian could be to the world so like uh-huh. you're not in this sort of climate where we are today where like if you're in the writer's room of a show like the simpsons today you're a you're like a democrat you're a like democratic party loyalist you love joe biden and you think hillary is like so fucking sick do you (laughs) you wouldn't be allowed like there's just this like in group of like media people now and like everything's owned by like huge corporations and Mm -hmm. they're not they're not going to be like 
you know, there's, it really feels like there's been a clamp down uh, ideologically of like what's even allowed to be on TV. Yeah. It feels like we're living in. <laughs> it feels we're like living we're living in 1984. It feels like we're living in <laughs> folks. Like, we're living in 1984. <laughs> a Republican's imagination of what China is, you know. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say though that the interesting thing about comedy in particular is that like it's um it, it's it's uniquely uh, a craft that you need to be able to do to do. You know, like yeah. it's not like like you can write this is us if you're not a writer. <laughs> you can figure sure. out how to be like, oh, this is a sad thing that happened to me. You know, here's how we get to it. And then that's the story, right? Uh-huh. Comedy, you need to drill. You know, you're not doing if nobody laughs, it's not comedy, right? So right. like you need to drill to make stuff funny. And mm. so like it, it's just an interesting time where like back then it's just like you're picking up whoever you can right and the people who are who are available are just like people who got chewed up and spit out of an industry that's dead (laughs) you know and there's like a couple people uh who like just people from wildly different perspectives who are given absolutely no oversight right and just by dint of like people just trying to be funny and making each other laugh in a room uh yeah it i i mean so my take on the show so far is that it is very enjoyable to watch a lot more than I remember. Cause I remember just being bored a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime I saw the Simpsons, I was just like, what is this about? Who cares? Um, but I've, I've, you know, you're starting to learn. Well, I still don't like Homer. Like I yeah. think Homer is a guy who is designed to be making fun of a type of trope. Right. But then they want you to also be like, he's also an everyman. And yeah, you know, this isn't his season. Okay. I still don't like Homer. I think he's a dick. I, I mean, he is a dick, right? Like he's he's just he's a, a dick. Yeah, of course, absolutely. He's a dumb idiot. A big part you're... of the Homer character, yeah, is that he's like not a good guy. No, he's but, a bad um, person. But every other. But character this isn't tends his season. Be... This is. I promise you, there are going to be seasons coming up where you're going to be like, oh, I get why people love Homer. Yeah. Um. This is not. This is kind of. They're still trying to figure out his character From... at this point. I feel like this season's more about the city than anything. Mm, yeah, and it's like the thing is, is like the show is written by someone who's deeply cynical and is trying to make like sin very like nearly nihilistic commentary on the on culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. Graining later went on to be a Epstein flight log guy, so right. I, I, he he seems to not have much to do with it at this point in terms of writing. Um, yeah, but. The show kind of wants you to like get to know everyone in the town and like really flesh out the world, and so those are very fun. I didn't really like the like um, the flaming Homer episode, where it was just like Mo gets really rich from that drink that Homer right, invents. Yeah. Uh, it has some funny bits, but it gets too involved in its story to where I'm just like, all right, just wrap it up get get, get us out of here (laughs) yeah but when they do have funny bits they're really funny and i've definitely laughed a lot harder watching it now that i'm in my 30s than i ever have on any simpsons episode yeah Um, have you gotten up to the did you get to the baseball episode yet no i haven't hit that's a very fun one from this season there's a lot of like it's one of the more like zany ones the the premise (laughs) is kind of ridiculous but it's very fun Anyway, uh, what <laughs> anyway, was the other thing you wanted to talk all right, about? We'll check, we'll check in on Simpsons as we as we go on. But um, the other thing I want to talk about was this movie that was recommended to me by a friend uh, called La Casa Lobo. Um, okay. Also known as The Wolf House. Uh, I went in knowing basically nothing about it, um, except that it looked really weird. Um, I love the poster. Yeah. So... It's a movie that is entirely stop motion, mm. um, but it's also a all like a single take. Basically, I mean, it's it, it it's oh right, but I mean, it's like it's stop motion, but it's like it's meant to look like it's right. filming. There's a single no take. proper gotcha. cuts, um, but what it is is like it's all shot in a room, and then the movements of the camera are all stop motion, and then like paintings on the wall like grow into like the characters in the thing like in the room and then they're like being created and torn apart and so the 
the visual style of the movie is literally one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life. Like, mm-hmm. and this is coming from someone who really likes weird, surreal movies. Like, yeah. this is Brothers Quay level, like Jans Fonkmeyer insanity. But the story, instead of being sort of an obtuse metaphor, uh, um, you know, I feel like something like The Holy Mountain is like, what well, could mean a lot of things or whatever. Right. This is a movie that is. Uh, and I think you should know this. It's not really a spoiler, um, but you should really read up on Colonia Dignidad if you don't know what that is. Um, but it's a movie that is supposed to be basically like a recruitment indoctrination tool of the leaders of Colonia Dignidad, okay. which is a real life colony in Chile of like not ex Nazis who like were spider networked by the cia to chile to right. sort of continue there like oh like literally mengala was there uh-huh. <laughs> um and he like did all his weird like raping of children and experiments on children mm-hmm. and so it's this sort of like tale that those people those like ex or nazis like right. weave to convince children to come live at their place and it's like about this this kid and these couple of kids and like a wolf at the door and then it's just this it just gets really strange (laughs) um but it blew my fucking mind being insanely weird very dark it looks so wild it looks really intense but just looking at it you don't have to know any of that stuff and like politically uh, if you're very interested in it it will like ring all of your bells like it did for me Mm -hmm. um but just looking, if you're interested in animation at all, it's nuts. I can't encourage you to at least watch the trailer because still images don't really work for it because I kind of thought it was going to look like old Jans Fenkmeyer, like not very much money, like real staggery and like kind of shitty. But it is crazy. Like every single... It's like really smooth? It's not really smooth, but it it like the... Every other shot is an an idea that you're like, oh, wait, what are they doing? Like, how is this being done? Like, you're just constantly looking at it like, what it, what am I looking at? Did yeah. they really do all of this? Um, Whoa, I pulled up the trailer. This is pretty fucking sick. It's <laughs> amazing. Like, pop an edible and then put on that movie and, like, don't worry about it being, like, an incredibly dark movie. Because it kind of has a happy ending if you don't think about what it means. <laughs> um uh-huh. Like, obviously, it's about, you know, the slaughter of children, but... Um, this is so fucking sick. It's oh so my God. cool. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> I wish this was a visual show. <laughs> I wish I could show it to you, but look up The Wolf House. It's from 2018. Uh, I, you know what this reminds me of is there's a street artist I saw once did a... Um, a project where he animated some like a character moving on walls around a city and it was stuff called like Momo or something. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I've seen that same video. It, it did remind me of that. It's like that taken to like, yeah, to the next, yeah, to the next it logical must have place. Taken them years to do this. It's mm-hmm. so crazy. Um, and I, I, uh, I, I was, I was thinking about it at like every once in a while, probably every year I'll like make a tweet of like, what's a movie that is the craziest movie you've ever seen like visually surrealist metaphorical like what's the craziest thing and i've just seen all of them like most of the people very rarely will i get an answer that i haven't seen you know color of pomegranate any Mm -hmm. yodorowsky movie tetsuo the iron man like people know all of the really weird ones because it's really hard to make something that looks so crazy um and this is a movie that is just basically someone made this movie for me like (laughs) it's like let's talk let's have a weird like cia parapolitical conspiracy but it's all a metaphor for that and it's all gonna be stop motion and it's like thanks it's really spooky and dark and yeah yeah gnarly it's it's this was a movie that was made for me and i can't can't recommend it enough damn I'm so excited for anyone to watch this. <laughs> I don't think I will. I'll probably just watch the trailer again. <laughs> it looks too intense for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to watch it again. Like, I just immediately was like, wow, I got to put that on again. I have yeah. only seen it once. But um, yeah, it, there's a lot there. And uh, my friend Steven showed it to me. Thank you so much, Steven. Uh, it's incredible. Um, everybody watch it. Anyway, what did you watch this week? 
Well, speaking of movies that feel like they're just made perfectly for you, uh, I watched a movie this week, a new movie, as it were. It came out last year. It's called The Kid Detective. Oh, I've been wanting to watch this. Made by uh, a new uh, premiere director, brand new to the the movie making world, Evan Morgan, Canadian guy. Right. The guy's done Uh, like nothing before. Nothing at all. Yeah. Short films. Uh, Feels very much like how... um, uh, hereditary probably felt where it's just like this debut right. that just is like so it just like blows the roof off the joint where you're just like holy shit where did this come from where did you come from <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where, there was, who was hiding you <laughs> there was probably some freak like me who had watched those two shorts and be like this guy's gonna be something this guy's gonna be somebody uh, and I promise you if they let this guy keep making movies he is going to be somebody so Let's have him on the kids say, I bet we could. I really, I looked him up to be specifically like, I wonder if I could get him on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's starring uh, Adam Brody, who you may remember from the OC. Uh, I don't. And, and some other shit. Uh, he was saying he's been in a bunch of stuff now. I feel bad saying he's from the OC, but that's where I know him from. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but he's like, um, he's like a handsome guy sort of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm t- look, what else was he in? Uh, thank you for smoking. Oh, is he the kid in Thank You for Smoking? No, 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 no. He's not that young. Oh. Um, what the fuck? Scream 4? Who was he in Scream 4? I, I didn't must see have been that a teacher. One. Damn, he really hasn't been in much. He's <laughs> in Shazam. Oh, is he Shazam? Oh, no, he's the, mm. one of the other guys. I, I remember. He's somebody in Shazam anyway. He's He's like the nerdier kid who, when they all get the power at the end, he's like one of the grown-up versions of one of the other kids. Okay. In any event, a very handsome fella uh, who seemingly yeah. has actually not done that much. I thought he'd done a lot more. Anyway, The Kid Detective <laughs> is a movie. From the OC. <laughs> um, the, the Kid Detective is a movie that feels like it should have sucked. And I really was expecting to not like it. Oops. Because the premise of it is something that I literally maybe two weeks ago was making fun of on this very show. <laughs> which is uh, uh, somebody oh, yeah, who Velma. was like a... Yeah, yeah, somebody who was like a precocious young uh, sleuth who, uh, you know, was was sort of like a local celebrity and now exploring kind of the darkness that haunts him from, you know, that lifestyle, right? And I was making right. fun of it for the Powerpuff Girls and for Velma and... Wednesday. Um, Wednesday, all these different things that are u- using this trope. And I said the Venture Brothers had done it and they'd done it as good as it can be done. I now no longer believe that. Wow. Uh, apologies. I still don't think those shows are going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> apologies for my short-sightedness. It can be done better. Uh, the Kid Detective, better than the Venture Brothers at exploring this idea. Jesus. Um, so The Kid Detective is a movie about uh, a, a young man, uh, Abe Applebaum, who uh, is sort of in a, like, any town USA is sort of an Jewish environment. Name? Yes, very Jewish. Okay. Uh, and he's a very Jewish character. But um, he, it, it's sort of like an any town USA sort of a setting. And aside from the use of smartphones, like, it kind of feels unstuck in time, too. Like it could where be you're a just period like, piece. It, yeah, it feels almost like it could be because like everything has this sort of like aw shucks sort of like Americana <laughs> sort of vibe about it. Um, and the idea is that he as a young man, it, he's like very smart and precocious and he gets into the idea of like solving mysteries and then he solves one that goes really well and then he gets like the key to the city and like the mayor gives him his own <laughs> office and like he starts his own detective agency and there's like a fun you know, montage of him solving little mysteries around town and whatever, and like doing it for quarters. And like his, his secretary is the mayor's daughter and he pays her in soda pop. And like he, <laughs> he solves a mystery shakes. for the ice cream place and he gets free ice cream for life. Yeah. Right. And then like the, it's like a cut to, and he's like 33 years old and he's like still at the same office, still like <laughs> solving the same kind of crimes. Mm-hmm. The mayor's daughter is still his uh, secretary, but now like the mayor killed himself god the daughter is like goth and he's just this pathetic man now anyway the point is it's like it's it's very much what you expect it to be from that point where it's like okay so he's like a pathetic guy who's kind of like reliving his youth over and over again can't move on from this part of his life everybody around him thinks he's pathetic like his parents are like constantly worried about him his roommate makes fun of him (laughs) okay uh and that's kind of the premise of it but it's so all of this is happening in a really just 
tight way where like all of the performances are really spot on. Like everybody is doing a really good job. Everybody's funny. Everybody's charming. It's sad when it needs to be sad. It's funny when it needs to be funny. Everything moves in a pretty pacey way. It's edited really well. And then they start kind of around the halfway point to start like slowly folding in like ever more dark and sinister elements Uh where like, they start to suggest that there was a point where his uh, mystery solving career had reached a point where like there was a disappearance in town. Somebody, some child had been kidnapped and then people were like, so you're going to help. Right. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to help. I'm a mystery solver. I'm going to help you solve the mystery. And then like people are just like bearing down on him. Just like, so like you're going to find her. Right. And he's like, of course I'm going to find like, and, and it's, it, he's a child. He's not a, like, this isn't when he's an adult, he's uh-huh. a child. Right. And you start to like, understand more like why he is so fucked up in the future. And like, it's not just this like, kind of like, you know, reliving your youth thing. It's like genuinely, you know, exploring a trauma that he experienced mm. of people just like placing this unreasonable pressure on him because it's not like a <laughs> fantasy environment. The world is real, right. you know, <laughs> like he's just a kid who's a local celebrity for like finding out who stole money from a school fundraiser. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my, my theory or just my assumption when I saw the trailer for this movie, which is all I've really seen, mm-hmm. um, was that, there would be a new mystery or, or, or that the mystery that had happened was like something where it actually started to matter or challenge some sort of power. And then mm-hmm. it wasn't about, uh, you know, just who stole the thing from the school or whatever, but like something they didn't actually want him to solve. Yes. Your instinct is correct. Is that basically um, what happened? Sort okay. of. Uh, it's way crazier though. Is the mystery really good? Yes, it's excellent. Okay, and so that's the, very important. And, and it's a movie where I'm not going to tell you how it ends. Because I don't want to know. Because the twist of it is like so insane that you're <laughs> like, I can't believe they've done this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe you've done this. Like you literally just sit there. You're like, I cannot believe that's where this went. <laughs> I, I'm going to watch it tonight. I'm very You really excited. should. I think you're going to love it so much. <laughs> um, it, but it's, yeah, it gets to a place where you're like, I can't. Like, this is where the movie went. <laughs> and like and in a good way like not in a bad way but it's like it's so rare that you watch something that like truly surprises you and truly like you see it coming a little bit and you kind of like can guess that it's where it's going but like like, to the extent of where it's going you're like (laughs) there's no no it's not that is i love that feeling because Um, it was so you know what was so good about knives out mm -hmm. was that they completely changed it up they're like, okay, it's not actually a mystery, but how the mystery gets solved or whatever. Right. And like that that's very clever. And also what they were trying, you know, being a sort of class metaphor, very good. Mm-hmm. We both really like that movie. So I'm very excited for another mystery recommendation from you that yeah. is actually a mystery. Yeah, it's actually a mystery and it it doesn't like it doesn't subvert your expectations in the way that you expect it to. Like it it plays out exactly how you'd imagine a mystery would be solved in a movie. Good. But just where it goes is is just <laughs> <laughs> off to the races alright well and, don't uh, tell me any more about yeah, it I'm yeah, gonna yeah. go and watch. truly cannot stress this enough uh, 90 minutes great perfect <laughs> length tight uh, 90 it's, but it, you know what it is is I was re-listening to us talking about uh, my cousin Vinny and I was like this kind of feels like that kind of movie where it's just like it's such a perfect like it just does what it needs to do it tells you what it needs to tell you you mm-hmm. get where you need to go and then at the end of the movie you're like that's it that's it. There's nothing more to do here. Absolutely. Just I mean, sweep up the floor, close up, turn off the lights, and we are out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think there's something very, very good. I really appreciate a movie that knows what it wants to do and does it and like mm-hmm. doesn't have any fat on it. Um, I also like movies that are two and a half hours long and directed by P.T. Anderson or you know Martin right. Scorsese. No, uh, and there can be... I mean, there are movies that are like that, that are yeah. that length... But they have this to is, deserve it. Yeah. And that most of them don't. <laughs> um, 
So I, I but yeah, people at home really cannot stress this enough. Go watch this movie. I don't think it made any money. I don't think anybody's <laughs> seeing this. Uh, it's so good. It's really worth it. I had to rent it. It was worth the rental. I didn't feel shitty that I paid four bucks for it. Go watch it. Okay, great. Uh, so two very high recommendations of two completely different types of movies. <laughs> um, I think uh, the thing about the um, the Wolf House, though, it's like an hour long. Mm. It's, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen, but it's like 70 minutes or something. Right. Um, so also watch that. Okay. So let's get into another tight 90, no fat movie. That we're, yes. we're going to talk about for real, uh, The Wedding Singer. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about it a couple of times now. It's come up. Yeah, I, I was realizing this as I was like thinking about the movie while I was watching it, because I've seen this movie. God, I don't even know. I, yeah, I can't even possibly maybe, begin to tell it. Maybe I was watching 70? it with Mo. <laughs> Mo was like getting up to like do shit and whatever. And I was like pausing it. She's like, you really don't have to. You don't I, have like, to. I know exactly what happens. When. I will. I can quote it to you on pace. And yeah. basically be on. T- yeah. That's the kind of movie this is for this. It's called The Wedding Singer. It's from 1998. It's directed by Frank Karachi. Um who I, which I just looked up, I would have never been able to tell you that uh, until yeah. right now. Um, <laughs> but that was actually something I did want to bring up. I, well, that's why I really want to talk about where this movie fits in the lineage and the importance of his his career, <laughs> um, because it's fair. It's very interesting. But in case you haven't watched it, in case you're a younger listener and you don't remember this movie. Um, this movie is an Adam Sandler vehicle. It is called The Wedding Singer. It is about a wedding singer, which is a guy who performs at weddings, and because you, you know, it's a band basically that performs at your wedding. Um, he is engaged to be married to a woman named Linda. She stands him up at the altar. He has met a a new waitress in his like, I guess like company that does weddings or whatever at the rec center, um, whose name is Julia. And her, she's played by Drew Barrymore. His fiance stands him up at the altar. He's depressed now, and he can't work because he hates weddings. Yeah. So Julia is getting married to a uh, New York City stockbroker guy who, at first, is a bro who seems like he's a nice guy, but a bro right. uh, doesn't seem like a great fit. But you're like, well, he seems nice enough. Yeah. Um, how bad could it be? How bad could it be? Uh, but he doesn't want to help plan the wedding. Uh, so she asked him because he's grew up there in Ridgefield, New Jersey, his entire life, this small town. Uh, and so he helps her prepare for the wedding. As this happens, of course, their chemistry is off the charts. They are become fast friends and quickly fall in love with each other. Um, in their hanging out, they find out that he finds out that Glenn, her fiance, is cheating on her and is a huge dickhead for no reason. Yeah. Uh, just a big asshole. Just a big, cruel man. Just a, pig, a big, cruel asshole. And uh, he basically decides that he wants to um, confess his love for her. She realizes she's going to confess her love for him. And in a series of some fun coincidences, some unfortunate events. They miss each other. They think that Linda, his ex fiance got back together. She calls him an asshole because he thinks she's marrying her for money, whatever. She goes, flies off to go to Las Vegas. He chases after her. He meets Billy Idol. He sings her a pretty song. They end up on the same plane. Extremely not important to the story. He meets Billy Idol. He meets Billy Idol. <laughs> but it's the real Billy Idol. It's the real Billy Idol. And uh, he, they're on the plane. They're on the same plane. He sings her a very beautiful song. And uh, she dumps Glenn and they live happily ever after. Literally, the credits roll as soon as they get married. And that's the wedding singer. So yeah. it's a basically paint by numbers oh it's also the 80s it's basically a paint by numbers uh romantic comedy but i think what's special there's something very special about this movie to me what 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 do you think about this movie i mean i love it it's a great movie it's a classic i've seen it a million times for a reason it's very fun um yeah it's it's not funny anymore like i've seen it (laughs) enough times that like everything that was once sharp on this movie has been like just sanded, sanded down yeah. to like a nice, <laughs> nice smooth shape <laughs> for easy insertion. <laughs> it's <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, yes, wait. <laughs> it's definitely what it feels like to watch this movie. It's just like putting in a suppository. <laughs> 
just like of like oxy or something. You're just like ah, just whatever, yeah. <laughs> sinking into a warm bath. Yeah, um, yeah. It's um, it still makes me laugh in places just because mm. it feels like hanging out with an old friend or something who's like right. can make you laugh. The um, kids made me laugh a lot this oh, time. Yeah, you're a bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could have sworn one of those kids grew up to be somebody, but it does not appear so. Hmm. Um. You're right, though. It's not a laugh-out-loud funny movie. There, I, When I was young, it was very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he, You don't get a lot of Adam Sandler uh, screaming and being a man-baby because his character is unchar- uncharacteristically charming and sweet for Adam yes. Sandler. Um, it is maybe one of the only movies besides Punch Drunk Love where he plays someone who is this empathetic and kind and charming. Right. Um, yeah, I was so. What was interesting to me was that th- what we kind of talked about earlier that Frank Caracci, the director, right, that we couldn't name. Um, I looked him up because I was like, "What is what is different in this one? Like, yeah. what's the different thing here that makes this one work and the other ones don't?" And I was like, "Is it the director? Is the director somebody? It's not. It's not. This is the guy who directs him in The Water Boy, which is." complete garbage uh mm-hmm. the ridiculous six um i don't know any of these other ones but he does like a lot of like uh kevin oh, james no. all stuff. of his kevin james movies the fucking uh the the what do you call it um uh the ridiculous six he said uh oh yeah the click right um, the water boy zookeeper blended the return of uh the third adam sandler and drew barrymore movie um <laughs> After Fifty First States, so right. it's not. You're right. It, it, you're. I, I did the exact same thing, and I was like, "Well, is it the writer?" And no, it's not the writer. It's not the no, writer. The so, writer did uh, Billy Madison, <laughs> Happy Gilmore, Waterboy, Big Daddy, Little Nick. He's he's involved in everything. Also, yeah. the only difference I can find is that he's that Adam Sandler isn't a credited writer for this. Mm. Okay, so here's my theory about this. Um, I, I watched an interview with the director. Uh-huh. And um, he talked about how they went to college together, I think at Tisch. Um, and basically everyone who worked on this movie is Adam's friend from college. Right. right of course. San- Sandler just likes his boys. He's friends with the guys he's friends with. And that's what he wanted to do. So Adam had Sandler, Sandler has a couple big hits, right? He's got uh, Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore under his belt at this point. But those aren't, movies that he um like had anything to do with they're big studio movies right right um they're universal pictures and um so what happens is is that he says uh the director says that adam sandler came to him and said here's what i want to do i want to do a romantic comedy and i want it to star me because <laughs> i don't want to get pigeonholed Oh, okay. Right. I was gonna say, was he married at this point? No, no. That might be part of it. <laughs> what he he saw the basically according to the director, he saw the writing on the wall that like he can't be this like goofy child the whole time. He's gotta mm-hmm. like branch out, but he couldn't get here's my theory at this point. He couldn't get those roles. Right. So what he did was he funded a movie by himself. Because this is basically an independent film. He had his friend direct it. He had his friend write it. Right. Um, and then he basically pitched it as a package of like, let me make this. Um, and so he wanted to be likable. He wanted to be interesting. And he wanted to do it all himself. Right. Um, and so right after this movie, the success of this movie created Happy Madison Pictures. Okay. So this is the first one. This is not a Happy Madison Pictures thing because he didn't like have the money or the clout to do it. Right. But this was his first like he he saw the like the director is like Adam has been insanely like clever with his career. So I think he was like, I'm going to do a a very successful romantic comedy movie where people I can get more different roles. Um, and that's and also just get money in and and yeah. you know a wildly successful thing that you know because he it's not like he has a particularly diverse career after this you know like 
for the most part, he does like one or two good movies every 10 years and then otherwise just stocks it full of Happy Madison garbage. But I kind of feel like maybe part of this, too, was to just like prove to people like I can produce a movie that will do big numbers, you know, and and so that he can get the distribution for Happy Madison going forward that he can make his, you know. You know, everything takes place in Hawaii with my boys yeah, and yeah. I'm a millionaire <laughs> and sort of story. And another thing that the director said was that he's like, I think like lots of people come out to me and tell me that The Wedding Singer feels like an independent movie. And he like takes that as a compliment. But when I was rewatching it, I was like, oh, this movie is kind of an independent movie. Like it takes place in a small town. The, ca- mm-hmm. the main character is like actually poor. And you very right. rarely see that in like big budget movies. Like especially Adam Sandler movies. Right. He's not, you know, he's not a, he's even his family is like barely middle class, you know, like they, they're working class people. They right. all have jobs. They kind of all hate rich people. They live in New Jersey. <laughs> you know, like, right. it's like a very small town. It almost feels like a very glossy production of like a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and I hadn't ever really thought of it this way until watching, until doing this like a little bit of research because to me it was just in Adam Sandler's lineage, right? Right. Just these yeah. sort of like 90s Adam Sandler comedies. But it kind of feels, I what, what, what sets it apart is it spends its entire runtime just examining two characters and their relationship to their town. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not something a comedy movie from this era usually did. Like they really flesh out their relationship and let them hang out and talk about cake and talk about pictures and talk about what they want and how their relationship right. started. And like going to different locations around the town and like very distinctly, they like, they always root it in like, this is part of like the town is such a big part of the movie. Yeah. And, and and it like that he's going around to all these different businesses and stuff that he's like, Oh, tell me you didn't give this, this person a fucking better (laughs) deal than this, you know, real strong towny energy throughout the whole thing. There's like even a line where, uh, his ex-wife or ex-fiance or whatever is like, like, I'm going to be stuck in Richfield forever. He's like, why is that a problem? It's great here. Yeah, I, all of our friends <laughs> And that's are not here. treated as a problem by the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, and he's, it's not supposed to be funny exactly because the end of... Uh, what is interesting about this movie is that it kind of just, like, shows exactly what Adam Sandler's ideology has been for his entire life and entire career, which mm-hmm. is I want to hang out with my family and I yeah. want to have a decent life... And be able to hang out with my family and friends and just feel like I live in a community. Which, yeah. Which is, I mean... It's great. More, more I think he rules. <laughs> I don't like his movies, but I've always thought that like his way of doing things fucking ruled. There's like a weird thing that happened where when Jack and Jill came out and uh, Red Letter Media did that video where they were like the great Adam Sandler swindle and they like kind of oh. talk about this idea of him making these movies that are always the exact same concept where it's like, we're in a tropical environment... I'm a rich ad executive. All my friends are there and the movie costs nothing to make. And the only expenses (laughs) are moving us to Hawaii and setting up a basketball court for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, and they're like, he just like keeps making these movies where basically the entire purpose of it is to take his friends on vacation. And they're like making fun of it. And and you're just like, yeah, (laughs) that rules. I would love to do that. That is such a great Why way to be a rich person. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you ever not be that guy? And then every so often you can pop out and be like, oh, I'm going to make Uncut Gems, actually. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> rules. What a fucking like, big-dicked way to live your life. <laughs> I have nothing but respect for the Sandman. Yeah. You I'm going to cash in on some voice acting stuff. I'm going to be the main character in Gendy Tartavosky's big thing, which, you know, I just re- I realized while we were talking about the Powerpuff Girls that what Gendy Tartavosky has been doing for the past decade is doing a big franchise of movies, Hotel Transylvania. I've never oh, seen them, but they have never gr- seen them. They have great ratings and like he's very <laughs> talented. So I might sit down and watch those. And he's I'm very a- curious. <laughs> Adam Sandler is is the main character of those movies and he they make them like once every he probably goes and like does a week in the in the booth and gets paid a gazillion dollars yeah <laughs> um that so, rules so I, yeah it's it's king shit absolutely adam sandler andy samberg selena gomez <laughs> kevin james Stephen shepard that's so funny yeah i can't believe 
I wonder if there, it was like a casting choice to be like, wouldn't it be funny if we put Adam Sandler and Andy Samberg in the same thing because their names kind of sound similar? <laughs> <laughs> kind of sounds like you're trying to remember Adam Sandler's name, What's but you get Andy it wrong. Sandler, Am- Ambler, Sandler, Amblin. Um, um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I think it's cool, and I think that if you're, you know. Why would you not grift Hollywood if you had the chance to do it and Absolutely. then distribute your wealth to all of your family members and friends who you yeah. care about and grew up with? Like, who wouldn't and do that? And thinking that's bad, thinking that's bad if you're like a little independent filmmaker. Sorry, that's beta male coke. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's beta male cope. Um <laughs> You're just mad because a Jewish man is getting a bag. Yeah, exactly. You're doing anti-Semitism, <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> you're doing tropes. Yeah, you're doing tropes. Um, so anyway, I think it's cool. But um, I do wish, I mean, I think that, that they have it in them to make a movie this kind-hearted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if he wants to make, it's easier to make dumb, stupid jokes. He's a fucking 50, 60-year-old man or whatever. Like, I don't care. He could do yeah. whatever he wanted. But I do think that this formula worked the best on the first try. And it was because they all sort of wrote a movie about what they wanted. Yeah. They wrote a movie about what they knew, which was living in some podunk town, like upstate, you know, Jersey or New York or whatever, um, and wanting to just have a nice life and right. you know he wants it's just a I, I just think the writer did such an incredible job we were talking about like i i think that there's something really to be said about the craft of writing a movie like this and i just i don't know if there's another romantic comedy that is this tight and mm-hmm. this exploratory because there's so often like so much bullshit with a friend or a b plot or something yeah 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 this has none of that. Like every single moment is like as much time you can get spending with them. That's what they want to show you. Is right. that like they? And what's interesting you spend the is first like fucking forty five minutes of the movie just being like, please get together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the the change from them just being friends and hanging out to being in love and then getting married is so sharp that it's yeah. just like it's like oh, they just need to end the movie now. Like, yeah. you just get to the point where it's just like, and they've been friends, and they've been friends, and you've been like, come on, just get together, just get together, just get together. Yeah. And then it's like, they it's maybe you. five minutes of, of screen time is them realizing, getting together, getting married, <laughs> and then it's over. <laughs> yeah, a payoff with Steve Buscemi at the end, and we're yes. out. Who is uncredited, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wasn't even, this probably wasn't a union movie. Like, I do oh, think, I do think, because Buscemi is a real actor, Right, and I yeah. think that uh, this is a movie that um, I mean he was a firefighter <laughs> uh, before you know a little before this but I, right. I have a feeling this was done pretty pretty like on a weird level of like not ultra indie but like light indie mm-hmm. um, so I think there was a lot of weird cut corners like even if you look at the original poster like the black and white like or the black poster it mm-hmm. like looks like a 90s a 90s indie movie. It only yeah. cost $18 million to make. It made $123 back. Um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it opened at number two behind Titanic. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Which is absolutely wild and very indicative of where Sandler was at at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, he was just on top of everything. So a couple of things I wanted to talk about in this movie. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about the 80s as a setting. Uh, I wanted to talk about how much the soundtrack must have cost. And I wanted to talk about uh, <laughs> transphobic tropes. Okay. So just want to make sure we get to the <laughs> I want to talk about all those things too, because the 80s... So, the 80s was a big part of the marketing of this, as I recall. The trailers were all just like, you thought the 80s were never coming back. It has been eight years since the <laughs> 80s have, are over, and we're doing 80s nostalgia. And to me as a kid, I'm 12 when this movie comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, to me as a kid, it was like, ooh, throwback to the 80s. That's interesting, but yeah. this had been this had just happened, um, so it is really weird. Um, but it it really also works, <laughs> I think, because it, it it allows 
and allows them to sort of have this setting of a wedding singer, which kind of already wasn't a thing at the time. Right. Um, it allows them to have the sort of like stock bro guy and like really talk about consumerism and materialism at its like boom point and right. like their like absolute reaction against it of like, no, all of this is shitty and bad. And like, yeah. what's really important is like taking care of your family. Right. Um, and you know that's not necessarily a great political you know it's 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 just nice <laughs> um it's yeah what's interesting though is that it's like it doesn't it doesn't bear down on you as much as you expect it to from how much they like pushed that idea in the trailers and stuff that it doesn't it does not feel like you know, every so often they'll yes. do something stupid where they're just like, oh, this Rubik's Cube, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, no one uh, will uh, ever uh, solve Honey, that. it's a CD player. <laughs> like, uh, the stupid things will pop up like that and, and remind you that you're supposed to be like, ooh, the, the 80s. <laughs> but, like, for the most part, you just don't think about it very much. But it also, like, it is, a, like, push you over the head, but it, it's, like, it's uh, it's almost just stuff that people would have actually said mm-hmm. and it's like including it in such a tight movie feels silly but it's like they don't it's not it's very rarely so hey it's the reagan years uh, right. that it's annoying um the only thing that's really is the fashions which are great the the all the costume design is is really good and not that over the top like i love some of the stuff like his brother-in-law is wearing like yes the sweatsuits uh-huh. and the jerry curl yeah who yeah who by the way is the um he, he's a random side character in goodfellas who he's the guy who gets frozen in the in oh, the yeah. uh, meat truck that guy is so funny yeah he's <laughs> his very character good. is so funny but like i think the, the costuming is like really well done where it's it's over the top in a real way like my dad when i was a kid my dad is a is not a flamboyant person in any way he's a stoic sort of like fox news watching guy he had pink and blue like parachute pants with like yes tiki, like he just had them and it's of like course, everything yeah. looked like that <laughs> no it's like it's like watching like supermarket sweep will really just do that to you and remind you like oh this is just what bog standard clothing looks yeah like. you can even if you went to Mervyn's, like, you know, yeah, JCPenney, yeah, yeah. that's what you, that's what you were like stuck men's with. warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> everything had weird, everything was weird pastel colors and crazy patterns yeah. and shit. Everything looks like the Rugrats. That's what it looks like <laughs> yes, to me. Everything looked like the Rugrats. Um, and my dad was on Supermarket Sweep. Um, I know. Yeah. yeah that's why I brought it. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's um, the 80s really works and the music really works. Like it's, very rarely so on the head on the like nail on the head for me that it's like oh this song it's just like oh i love this song oh i love this song (laughs) so that's the other thing that i wanted to say is that so if the budget for the movie was 18 million dollars how much of that budget had to be licensing this music because everything in this except for the sampler song (laughs) is is a real song (laughs) yeah there is a tiny bit of score that is just and it's one song. <laughs> well, no, it's like the 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 string parts when they like there is some references to the I want to grow old with you song in the score before he plays it, but right. it's very minimal. <laughs> um, <laughs> Otherwise, it's all just like it's a it's a, you know, Smith's song. It's an Elvis Costello song. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the wham. It's uh uh fuck does it have when in rome does it have simple minds it has like every single songs that they weren't really listening to like there's no madonna you know right there is bowie i guess but there's yeah, i mean there's stuff that would have i have to imagine it would have cost too much money <laughs> that's what i think and what's interesting um, is that they had a ton of songs but yeah the 18 million dollars i would guess like at least half of it is just like music clearance <laughs> yeah they i'm, probably I'm looking at the list much. of songs here now and there's a whole like a whole third of the songs that are on the soundtrack did not appear in one of the two soundtrack albums. That's right. <laughs> I had both of them on cassette tape. <laughs> and like some of these songs are like really big, like, uh, 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 like, um, China don't stop believing boys. Don't cry. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you believe in love? Absolutely massive. Hungry heart. <laughs> Yeah, the Bruce Springsteen song is playing in well in the Which by the way, I don't know if you bar. know this. 
about Hungry Heart um, that it was originally written for the Ramones. Really? Yeah, yeah, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen wrote that for the Ramones? He met the Ramones and he liked them so much that he wrote them that song. And then his manager apparently was just like, Bruce, you have to stop doing this. Like, <laughs> that's a really good song. You can't just give it away. <laughs> like, and so not? he kept it instead. <laughs> Poor good-hearted, trusting Bruce Springsteen getting apparently swindled into a podcast. Apparently he had done this like four or five different times. Yeah. I, I definitely heard people. him written, writing songs for people and just being like, hey, I made you a present. <laughs> hey, I wrote you a great song. <laughs> I hope you want to play it. Just imagine, uh, it would have been a sick song if the Ramones played it, too. Yeah. They didn't Anyways, ever cover it or anything? I don't think so. I think somebody has recorded a version of it, of, like, how it would have sounded if the Ramones <laughs> played it, but I don't think the Ramones ever did. Weird. Uh, okay, and then, uh, what else did I want Yeah, the last I thing I want to talk about was transphobic tropes, because I just watched, um, oh, yes. Lindsay Ellis, uh, had a, had a video about yeah. transphobic tropes in movies, and I just watched it the night before I watched this, and I was like, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so... What I found fascinating about this movie, there, so there is a trans character in the movie. Well, um, there's a trans woman in this movie. The character is a, maybe supposed to be just a weird person who's obsessed with Boy George. I'm not sure how we're supposed to be treating them, so I suppose they, them pronouns would probably be the most appropriate. <laughs> right. Uh, and I don't think they ever actually say in the movie. Right, but Alex, that's true. They don't at all. They don't acknowledge it. But Alexis Arquette is a trans woman. Is a trans woman, yes. So or say. was. I think she's, she's dead, deceased yeah. now, yeah. Um, in any event, so there is a there is a trans woman playing a maybe trans character in yeah. this. And what I found fascinating was that it is, uh, I would not say it is a um, respectful <laughs> no. uh, uh, vision of a trans person. That is not how I would describe this. However, what I would say is that it does not fall into the familiar tropes. That's true. And it does not do that. <laughs> it's so interesting because this movie was 1998 mm -hmm. when at the height of all of the stuff that Lindsay was talking about in that video, which is a pretty good video. I suggest you yeah, watch it. Yeah, you should it. go check it out. Um, um, I would not call her a friend of the show. We don't know her. I don't know her. We know a lot of her friends. <laughs> don't know her. <laughs> um, but she, uh, you know, she talked a lot about the very big tropes, but... Wedding Singer is a movie that's in 1998 at the height of the tropes, and it has this character who they must have known, you know, they're friends with Alexis. Right. Like she's in a lot of his other movies, and sometimes just being straight up, like, bashed, like, bigoted, mm -hmm. bigoted <laughs> jokes. But this movie, I guess it was one of the first ones, like, there are some, like, every, like, most characters are, like, weirded out by her as, right. as a character. And the joke is rarely that she's trans it's usually just that she looks weird and is dressing weird but then there's right. all these other jokes of them just like like when they're trying on dresses and like she puts on one of the wedding dresses and they're like yeah it looks great we're gonna take that one and she's like yay and that's like yeah. not a joke they're just hanging out with their friend George. right it's it's <laughs> it's an interesting position to put the character in because a lot of the jokes are like not necessarily that she's supposed to be like laughed at because she's like disgusting but she's laughed at because she's ridiculous right yeah like, the one that i think of is in that one song where she gets the clarinet solo <laughs> and you're like oh that's very funny to see her playing a clarinet because well a because a clarinet's a funny instrument yeah uh, to just whip out to do because she's a multi-instrumentalist that's kind of funny too that you're yeah. just like oh she knows how to play another thing too <laughs> Because she pulls out the clarinet and then she pulls out the tuba. The and trombone, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, tr a trombone. And it's just like a fun escalation of that joke. And you're like, I'm not, I don't know how to frame this because it's like, you're not laughing at the fact that she's trans. But like, <laughs> there is sort of like a clownishness to the character right. that you're supposed to be laughing at that isn't not involved in the fact that she's trans. Right, and it's like, she's one of like the most over over the top 80s dress characters and like that's mm -hmm. kind of a part of it but it's clear that the writer and the director are like snick because like you know the very first time she's on screen like two guys like make transphobic jokes basically one guy says "Ooh, scary and, he, and steve buscemi says "Ooh, i like her and that's supposed to right, be like right, of right. course you wouldn't 
disgusting you know but yeah, like you little weird scoundrel so it's not like it's not like the movie is in on it exactly but then at a certain point they just give up and like well she's a part of this community and they all love right. her anyway and so or it's, it's like, like <laughs> the two are the two aren't mutually exclusive i guess maybe where it's like she is ridiculous and to be laughed at but she also is their friend who in universe is just friends with them yeah exactly and, like that's part of it too yeah and she it, she doesn't have like any lines uh she's just around and like being you know she says oh god and i think that's it yeah she Um, cries and says oh god and i think she like at some point um she sings the song and then she's playing piano for the old woman at the end oh right she is very funny singing that song too that she has to just start it over again because she doesn't doesn't know know another song it's a funny joke and that's the thing it's like a lot of the jokes with george aren't at her expense right like they're sort of just like jokes that kind of are involve people thinking she's weird but it's not clear why exactly i think it's 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 nice that they made a and and i think it's really interesting because adam sandler's character has her in his band you know like that's supposed to be like we're all friends and like mm-hmm. even if we're all misfits and or she's weird, the only other character in the band the yeah. other people in the band are anonymous <laughs> they have just like an old guy drummer who you just are supposed to be like okay whatever yeah and then like the steve like the b-side steve perry who's the guitarist and like that's right. it um so I, I i think i think it's an interesting one uh where you know she's a funny person because she's weird but like it's not really about that she's like bad or anything and you should right. just you know i don't know like you said it's not a it's not a woke like yeah it's definitely not what i, I would not put it out there as like <laughs> like impressive treatment of a trans yeah, character no, at look all. at this <laughs> but honestly for 1998 for 1998 pretty good yeah pretty good uh, we were talking about like how we were talking about with cheers and with like with Henry Rollins being on the cover of Out Magazine for being friends with RuPaul, like considering the uh, considering <laughs> the like the time was period, on the it's floor. like you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, not being afraid. our expectations are are so they're dinosaur bones <laughs> so far down. <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, I guess there's not much more to say about this movie except that like. I guess the one thing I wanted to say is that even after the fucking hundredth time I've seen it, like it's still makes me a little bit teary like it yeah, works the end definitely so still hard. gets you yeah it's a good song the <laughs> it's song a very is, effective song it's beautiful gorgeous song that he writes for julia um but like their chemistry is just like when they do the church tongue kiss um when they're like not supposed to be kissing and like their her sister makes them kiss just to show her or whatever like yeah. you're just like oh i really want them to date <laughs> Uh, like I think the romance here is like one of the best romantic comedies that there's been, even though it's not super funny, it's sort of throwaway gags and, and like some stuff makes me laugh just because of the way people, way people say it. Like, um, when, when the, when the Goodfellas guy says, shit, I got water all over myself. (laughs) Like, it's just like, that's funny for no reason. Um, but it's a sweet movie. And, uh, if, you want a romantic comedy it's i think probably the best one there's ever been yeah i agree great okay thanks so much for listening to generation lost uh it's been a fun time talking to you if you'd like to hear more of this show go to our patreon at patreon.com slash generation loss um we get uh, Discord there, bonus episodes, and in the Discord we play the movies that we're going to talk about. On yeah, we mo- talk about the movie news on the show. I feel like we don't say that usually, uh, yes, we but usually we talk, talk about, about the movie news. The movie news, like the stuff that's happening. We've been talking about, like we mentioned on this one, Wednesday Adams, Powerpuff Girls, Velma, uh, yeah, Zack Snyder. Yeah, all these shows. Zack Snyder. We have so much to say about Zack Snyder this week. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Um, but yeah, so that's what we generally talk about on the bonus episodes. Um and uh, I don't know. I lost my train of thought. Follow us on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, follow us on Twitter. Pod, you know all the things. Uh, we'll see you in the Discord. <laughs>